Together we can love our bodies again Here on the Grayscale Hi guys, it's Chrissy And I'm Sierra And this is the Grayscale Podcast We're back, baby Yes, we are It's been quite a long, long, long time Um, But we're really excited to be back And uh, this episode is going to be airing the day before our one-year anniversary. So exciting. Super exciting. Um, We're almost at, you know, a good, almost at 40 hours of content. So thank you for everyone who's been along. (laughs) Thank you for going for the ride with us. Yeah. And all of the new people, I know I've actually, I just looked at our our little ratings this week and um, it it looks like a lot of new people have joined on board, which is really exciting. Um, So we're, we're really excited to see the new listens and um, yeah. And we'll continue Um, on with uh, season two. Yeah. We're excited to be back (laughs) finally. And um, we're very excited about our guest this week. She is a friend of ours from college as well um, and has kind of exploded on TikTok this year um, talking about some really amazing topics and we're, we're very thrilled to have her here with us. Yeah, so this is Katie Hahn. Hi, Katie. Hello, <laughs> I'm so excited to be here. I'm really happy to have you. Hello, hello. So tell everybody a little bit about yourself. So we went to school together. We did, in fact. And um, I am an actor and I wanted, I saw everyone sort of blowing up for their own individual things on TikTok over the course of the pandemic. And I was like, you know, I could get on TikTok and just do more like actory type things or little skits or whatever. And I was like, but I kind of just like want to talk about something. And the thing that I wanted to talk about so much was sex ed. Um, And that's because I had always been like the friend that all of my other friends came to, to talk about sex relationships, whatever. I don't know if it's just that I'm like a, like, open like heart and like an (laughs) ear for people to like chat off or whatever but um yeah and I think another part of that is that I grew up in a very like sex positive household where I was never like shamed or um you know shunned away from sex and all of that if I had questions my mom's like let's talk about it and here's eight books on it um so that then kind of made me want to talk more candidly about it just with my friends and then when I got on TikTok, I saw so many videos of people talking about sex and relationships that were so like wildly inaccurate. And oh, I saw a real need for this. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I don't have a lot of shame around these topics. So I'm willing to be the one to start the conversation. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. My first video got half a million views, which was insane. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> it was crazy. That's really exciting. It's very exciting. And uh, congratulations, honestly. Yes, Thank you. Nice you can tell how much work you put into it. And it's it's definitely helpful and very exciting. Thank you. Yeah. It's already blown up more than I ever could have imagined. So now I'm like, now I have this baby and I'm like, oh, I have to like do something with it now. Like this was fun at first and it is still fun, but it was like, <laughs> now it's like, oh. Now I, there's pressure. Now there's pressure. <laughs> Gotta exactly. feed the baby. <laughs> yes, exactly. And um, I know that you also just started your own podcast. I did. So Tell everybody a little bit about your I podcast. I did. My podcast is called Your Gay Big Sis on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. 
Um, and it's basically just like a more long form version of my TikTok where I'll cover sex ed topics or sexuality topics, relationship intimacy topics. I'll bring on guests who can incorporate or uh, eh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, here I go. <laughs> I'm gonna cut there. Um, I bring on guests who can contribute. That's the word I'm looking for. Guests who can contribute to those kinds of conversations. And then I answer like more long form questions for my listeners and take advice or give advice. I take advice too. anyone who wants to give me advice, but yeah, that's, it's just more of my TikTok, but longer and listenable. Yeah. And we'll be sure to, um, to promote everything on our, <laughs> we're going to post everything on our Instagram. So if you want to, if you want to see Katie's TikTok, or if you want to, um, you know, if you want to listen to her podcast, which I do highly recommend, I just started listening myself. Thank you. Um, yes. Yeah, so you'll be able to find that on our Instagram page. Amazing. Um, so we just kind of addressed this first question. Um, so I think we can actually keep going. Yeah. Um, but how do you think that sex education in today's schools systems contributes to body dysmorphia or dysphoria? Okay. This is, I love this question because there's so much to unpack here. So I think the main thing that contributes to body dysmorphia, dysphoria is, um, a, uh, abstinence, mm. like abstinence only education. Um, because as we know, there's been a lot of studies that have said that abstinence only education does absolutely nothing to prevent teens from having sex. It only contributes to feelings of shame um, around bodies and sex yeah. and all of those sorts of things. And so I think that's probably number one is that we are from a very young age telling um, people that their bodies are not to be used for pleasure, that they are to be hidden away, that you cannot show off your body, that you have to adhere to a very rigid set of rules in order to be seen as good or pure by potential future partners or yeah. anything like that, that I think that's probably the biggest factor is just this constant pressure of abstinence that does not work. Right. It doesn't work. Right. Yeah. Well, and I totally agree with you. I think that there is such a huge need um, for this topic in general in school systems, yeah. public and private. Yeah. Um, because I, I agree. It's like, it's a lot of abstinence, but it's also a lot of, um, I feel like they are too focused on it being, you know, quote unquote scientific because mm -hmm. there is this like uncomfortability factor that yes. goes into sexual education in high school specifically Yeah, because teenagers suck. Yeah. <laughs> no offense. You guys but are great. Actually, today's teenagers are fucking rock stars. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, I, there is like that kind of how do we talk about this and, and you know, give it the weight that it deserves because exactly. there should, you know, there should be some sort of seriousness yes. there too. But I agree that there's, there's so much lacking in the way of talking about like not just the changes that are happening, you know, kind of within you, but like, how does that affect your emotions? Yes. How, how are your hormones changing that are going to affect you day to day? And like, what does that actually look like? Yeah. How, you know, how do you interact with another person in a safe way sexually? Like things huge. like that, where it's that, that is all missing. Yes. And I think that a huge factor in that is that so many people still think that in order to teach sex ed, you're somehow like encouraging kids to have sex or rather teaching kids how to have mm -hmm. sex. 
And there is absolutely a way to convey the weight that sex has and the risks without like trying to pretend like sex doesn't exist at all, right. you know? Right. Or that you shouldn't, or that you should uh, not want it. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've talked about it a, a couple of times on the podcast already, but I grew up with abstinence only education and it wasn't that I was, it was a not, I grew up in a not sex positive house, but we just didn't talk about it. It was a, yeah. there was no sex house kind of a situation. <laughs> and, um, and it was very interesting because obviously there's a lot of shame and embarrassment that grew, that I grew up with and took with me pretty late into my life, frankly, um, surrounding sex. But it also, the heteronormativity of it was also very much brought with me like throughout life where like we were separated by gender female male it irks me so (laughs) yeah and in order to talk about it and to talk about like puberty and like hormones and stuff was talked about very um very gendered in that way and then we finally got like that was in one year and then the next year we got like a combined experience so we talked about like what happens to a woman when they have sex and like what happens to a man when they have sex and then when we got together, it was like, this is how a baby is made. And it was very, like Sierra said, very like scientific, but also like very like baseline, no, like no nuance, anything. Like there was nothing yeah. about it that involved obviously other sexualities, different ways to have sex. All of it was just like, yeah. and so a lot of people, you know, I don't know. I just felt like I grew up until I didn't really grow up when it came to sexuality until like halfway through college. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard a lot of people who have that exact same experience. Yeah. Right. And I, and I feel like, you know, there's so much about that, that way of teaching sex education, which, you know, and what you experienced, it looks a little bit different than what I experienced you know, cause we definitely, we only had it for one semester, um, at my high school and, and it was, it was always combined and it was, you know, it was like one of our classes day to day for the whole semester. And yeah. we did, I think we flip-flopped and it was geography or something like that. <laughs> um, whatever. But the point being, um, that I, I think that because there's nothing being taught about, um, you know, I guess now there's stuff being taught about consent, but there's not stuff being taught about communication and and pleasure and all these things. There is all of this sort of mystery around it, which I actually think encourages kids to have more sex. Yeah. (laughs) Um, To try and figure it out. Right. Yeah. And not only that, but I think that it actually really, um, and you've talked, you talk about this a lot on your platform too, but because it's a lot of, um, talk about PIV mm-hmm. and not for, and for those of you listening, that is penis and vagina, just to clarify. <laughs> um, cause I know this is yeah. your world <laughs> than it is ours. Um, but you know, because it is very, very focused on, you know, the end result of a baby being produced, there's, I think that I, it really like kind of encourages the narrative of, you know, women need to be desirable for men so that yes. they want to procreate with us. And which, that other types of sex aren't legitimate. Yes, that yeah. too. exactly. But I think that that really plays a big part in, you know, 
hating your body. Yeah. <laughs> you know yes. what I mean? Because yes, that you're just a baby making machine who's right. there to please your husband. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of the, at least in a like woman, cisgender woman perspective, a lot of it was also very much about like the vulnerability of you as a woman when you have sex. And it was about like, they're how they're going to, you're going to be perceived and they're going to see you for all you are. And it just let also like had such a fat phobic tone to it is like, do you really want people to see you naked? Like it was very degrading and like crazy. So like, I think there's always like to tie it all back to the question about like body dysmorphia was like 100% hand hand. because not only was it equating like sex in your body but also your desirability your attractiveness how you're attracted to others yeah yeah and that you shouldn't be necessarily thinking about those things at that age Mm -hmm. and I think that's where it gets really tricky too because the fact of the matter is that teenagers are experiencing these hormones and they are experiencing these emotions for the first time and instead of being taught here's a safe and healthy way to deal with that or to experience that at this age because it's actually a really beautiful and exciting thing yeah but you know instead of being taught how to manage those feelings and urges I feel like so many kids are taught to suppress it or not want it or, you know, or kind of push it away in this way that, that creates, I don't know, kind of a, um, I think kind of a dangerous narrative and everything that we're learning about sex is from porn. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) To to Um, just put it in, in the light, we were the same unit essentially as sex education, at least in my high school, because we got sex ed, quote unquote, from elementary school through high school in different years. Mm, And in high school, the same like semester you're learning about sex, you're learning about dangerous drug use. Yes. About meth and heroin and like all these very dangerous- Why is that in the same category? (laughs) Right. Well, it's dangerous temptation. Very important. ruins your life. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and, you know, I just, I, I think that, and, and also this is kind of going back to the question at hand too. Like, I think that body dysmorphia and, I mean, obviously, I don't just think this, this is the case. Body dysmorphia and body dysphoria are not necessarily even in the same category. I think that there's maybe elements of them that, that tie into each other, but yeah. this is not, you know, me trying to say that they're the same thing because they're definitely not. But I do think that our current sexual education contributes to both. Absolutely. Um, And I don't know if you want to speak on that at all from like a queer perspective either. Yeah, because I think that this, like Chrissy was talking about this like heteronormative idea of sex and that PIV is like pushed as like the definition of sex. Then you have a lot of queer people who are um, like being told to use their bodies in ways that don't resonate with them at all. And then that leads to feelings of like, oh, am I broken? Like, why doesn't this feel good for me in the way that like porn tells me it should, or that, you know, my health teacher says that it does or whatever that I, yeah, I think that the heteronormativity part is what makes it really difficult for queer kids to like tap into, um, the ways that their bodies can experience pleasure. And outside of a context of this like PIV, um, like, you know, sort of whatever that they're given by 
health class. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, obviously none of us in this room are, are trans, but I think that that also plays into that in a big way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, And also people who are, who are asexual. Yes. Experiencing a dysphoria of like, why haven't I felt any of this as well? Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I actually, we have this incredible course and I don't know if you got an opportunity to take it while you were at school, but there was this amazing course taught by this woman who was a sex therapist and it was, I think it was called human sexuality. Oh, I didn't. I wanted to take that class and I couldn't for some reason. It was sexuality studies and it was very different. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But she, she, first of all, the professor was phenomenal. She was a queer woman as well. Love. Um, And was so, was actually very scientific and very matter of fact and was like, you know, very much that like Dr. Brain kind of person. Yes, I love. Um, But she, she taught it was basically everything that I ever wanted in high school sex ed was Love in it. that class. Oh, I wish I could have taken it. Was it was amazing. And it was like, you know, talking about all the stuff that you would talk about in high school sexual education, but also talking about the cycle of abuse. Yeah. Talking about, you know, like different types of sex, including anal sex yeah. and, you know, oral sex and all of these different Outer things. course. Right, yeah. exactly. And it was so it was so comprehensive. And I was like this, the way that this is being taught could very easily be taught in a high school class. Like nobody, no teenager is going to like be intaking this information in a way that like wouldn't be received well. Yes. Well, that's something else that I would love to talk about and we can circle back around if this is too much of a tangent, but I know, (laughs) but like so many people think that, you know, if you're not over 16, you shouldn't be having this conversation. If you, you have to be right. a certain age and it's like, like think about the first time when you were a kid and you were like, huh, I am feeling something in yeah. my body. It's like middle school for most people. Yeah. Like most sexual people are like, oh, like something's happening. And it's like, yet we want to ignore that like that's kind of the rate at which things happen and we're going to pretend like kids don't have sexual urges of their own until they're 16 and like that's a huge factor is that I think that like we can start sex ed I think as young as kindergarten with like how to wipe your butt properly yeah like it there are so many things that you can do just to break it down with like age appropriate chunks right so that it's not all being bombarded on us when we're, you know, 18 and in college and we're like, oh yeah, my God, exactly. it's all happening. Like, thank God. And I think like, that's also when the shame starts is because all of a sudden, like you're, you know, you're kinder, you're kindergarten you're running around saying vagina. And they're like, you can't say that word. Yes. And yes. like that was, I used to run around saying nipple all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing is that like kids are curious about their bodies from a very young age. Yes. That's not something that and that's the thing is that like, that is, that is technically sexual education too, because yes. you're, you're developing your relationship with your own body, which is also a huge part of sex. Yes. Um, yeah. Super important. I think in, in sexual health in general to have like a really solid relationship with your own body. Huge. That's where it all starts. That's yeah. where it all starts. I will say, I feel like I have started having a lot better sex 
later in life because I mean obviously that's sort of how it goes but especially as I've developed a better like love towards my body yeah my sex has gotten incredibly better yeah like so much better and not that it was bad before but it's like fantastic (laughs) yes exactly and I think that that I think that if we were teaching kids also in sexual education from that very young age you know four or five to love their bodies and appreciate and cherish their bodies and have a relationship with their bodies that I actually, I think a huge part of that shame factor would, would come out of it as well. Absolutely. Well, shall we keep going? Let's do it. So I'm very excited to hear your take on this. So (laughs) if you could create a sex ed curriculum, what would it include? We just, okay. Like I would need like a, like, 30 minute Ted talk in order to like <laughs> properly give this spiel because there's so many different elements. And I've actually thought a lot about this and I want to start with that. Like, I think the best sex education curriculum starts with a lot of homework that like, I think the most successful kind of sex ed would be the kind of information that students could consume on their own time in their own privacy, because what adds to the shame level of health class? It's (laughs) Timmy has a question about his penis. Like it's like, and so then there's like that whole element where then kids are in class and they're with their peers and they're wanting to ask really personal questions that they may not be comfortable asking around an entire class or their teachers. So like, I have a dream one day to create a, like a sexual health education, like app or platform where schools can like somehow input grades through it and just say, log on to this website, complete by this date and do it all on your own time. And there's links and resources to all sorts of things, because I think a huge, huge part of why the like current sexual education curriculum doesn't work is because we're trying to teach these kids about really like personal things at an age where they are like at like peak self-consciousness yeah and it's like they were able to just like read a book in their own room and digest it and ask questions I feel like it would be so much more effective so and I think that we've seen in the pandemic that online learning like it doesn't always, you know, make test scores tank and all of that, that like kids can still really engage. I know that's not, I don't want to do online learning forever, believe me. And this is not a pitch for like online learning is the best, but I think that we could really utilize it in this way to let go of some of that like middle school shame around sex ed class. Right. So I want to start with that, but I think the best sex education curriculum covers all bases and there is no question that is too inappropriate or too mature to ask. Like if I was a sex education teacher and some 16 year old was like, what's a kink? I'm like, let's fucking talk about this. Can I curse on this podcast? Yeah, okay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I forgot to tell her beforehand. <laughs> this was as explicit. I love, um, but yeah, so I'd be like, let's talk about it. Like, and like I said before, like there are ways that you can like express the weight and risks of sex um, while still like without like encouraging kids to do it, if that makes sense. Or encouraging them not to. Exactly. Yes, exactly. So I think that um, things that needed to be added 
just scratch abstinence altogether. It does not work. I think things that need to be added are like a really deep in-depth conversation about masturbation. Yes. Like huge. The fact that it's just like touching yourself is okay. Moving on. But it's like, <laughs> but what are the benefits of masturbation? Like what there can, are there are many, like, what can you learn from that about what you like? Like let's, I think sex education needs to cover porn. I think you need to talk about like why porn isn't real. Like all of those kinds of topics. Um, I would love for it to be like kink inclusive. Yeah. I think there's a way to do that without, you know, diving into, and this is what a porn scene looks like kids. Like there's well, a that's yeah. funny that you say that because in this college course that I took, yeah. she actually did address kinks, but not only that, she actually discussed the difference between kinks and fetishes, Yes, which is so important because they are so different. Yeah. They are not the same thing. Yeah. And I think that it actually, I mean, I even at the time didn't fully understand the difference between the two Yeah, and learning that really, first of all, opened up my mind in a huge way. Yeah. Um, and you know, I was already pretty uh, people on this podcast. know I was pretty kink positive at that point. <laughs> um, so, you know, like, I think that, that it's, that is a really important topic of yeah. conversation as well. Yeah, for I'm sure. So sorry. No. <laughs> and then I think also what needs to be added is obviously like a queer inclusive trans inclusive element that so that so much of sex education, like we've, we're beating a dead horse here, but is heteronormative right. and being able to Something that like didn't like hit home for me for the longest time was that like, oh, like just because there's not a P to go into a V, like queer sex still counts. Yeah. That it's still sex. Like one of my favorite sex experts, Dan Savage, um, loves to talk about that like anything more than like rolling around with your clothes on, you're being sexual. And if you're giving or receiving pleasure, you're having sex. And that is like my number one thing that I always have people in my comment section on TikTok being like, oh my God, like my body count just went up. Like five <laughs> people with your definition, like whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, but like it, the thing, the reason that's so important is because we need to be taught to treat every sexual encounter, no matter what act you're performing, to hold that with the same weight as anything else. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, that's how like, you know, the romanticization of like the unconsensual kiss happened. Mm-hmm. Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Absolutely. And And I mean, again, like, I think too, just to sort of jump on, on the bandwagon here. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like if I could create a sex education course too, I would love to include talking about, um, like just different body types. Yes. And, huge. And you know, like you can talk about that from a scientific perspective, I suppose, but also really to address, um, not even necessarily body positivity, but like body prejudice yeah. as it is, because I don't think that we're going to start to unlearn this as a society yeah. in, until we start to actually teach it. Yeah. Um, this is like a big long time dream of mine and Chrissy's is to actually kind of create a program that we could ultimately bring to schools at some point. I love too. Let's team up. Yeah, I know what I was going to say. <laughs> let's, let's just like create a whole fucking program. Right? I love it. Um, but because I think that that's really important too. Yeah. And, and I mean, of course, 
bodies and sex go hand in hand. Absolutely. Which is why you're here. Yes. <laughs> um, on that note, this is a little bit of a tangent, but like an interesting tidbit that I think would be great to share. Um, so I, again, this is more Dan Savage. I just love him, but he had a caller recently who she was really ashamed about her breasts for some reason, did not like her breasts. And Dan gave some advice, but then, uh, opened it up to other callers to then call in and give her advice. And she was like, look up the like thing that you don't like about your breasts on your favorite porn site. And I guarantee that there is a ton of porn specifically featuring your kind of breasts. And so like, I would love to be able to have conversations like that yeah. in sex education, which is just like how, like whatever you look like, however you feel, somebody is gonna want a piece of you, like yeah. for sure. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah. Incredible. Well, we clearly need to do this. Yeah. <laughs> Sex education coming to you guys soon. Um, all right, well, let's do the next one. Um, so, oh, this is kind of, uh, all of these are relatively similar too, but I feel like this is something that you'll, you're definitely gonna be able to speak to. So would you say that acceptance of sexuality is connected to body acceptance? I would say that they're absolutely connected. However, they can travel in like very different paths mm -hmm. and kind of stray and not always meet if that makes sense yeah that I know a lot of people who will have a journey with their sexuality and then comes the like gender exploration like right. kind of um experience so I I say yes I think that they absolutely do go hand in hand for sure yeah I mean and that's not to say either that like one of them is like magically happens and then so does the other one yes <laughs> because I think that you know it work yes I, honestly I think that they're both very fluid yes I yes. think that the way that we talk a lot about how you know the the your self-love, you know, journey is never really over. And, and, and even all of these influencers that we talk about, um, on, on Instagram and TikTok and, you know, all over the place who are very body positive and who have had a huge impact on mine and Chrissy's lives, um, mm -hmm. in that way, even a lot of them are like, yeah, having a really shit day today. Yeah. I'm, I'm not liking what I'm seeing in the mirror today. I'm, I'm, I'm having a really hard time with that. And I think, you know, not necessarily to say that acceptance around sexuality is that way, but I think the fluidity within yes. sexuality is kind of similar to that. It's like, you know, like, I, I mean, I, I can even use myself as an example, because I would say that I'm not necessarily, I don't really identify as bisexual, but I definitely am attracted to, you know, female and male bodied people. Yeah. And, you know, it just sort of depends on the day. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. Like, I think that that, that is definitely, um, yeah. But I also think like being a sexual being in general is maybe connected to acceptance of your body. Yeah. I think that I've also seen a lot of people who have a sexuality, like exploration journey, and then the body acceptance follows because they were able to find that um, like confidence and power in their body through sex right. by, you know, being with people who are like, oh my God, I love your body or, you yeah. know, wanting to worship their body or whatever it may be. And then I've also seen people who have had 
the experience the exact opposite way where they have found a really amazing, um, like beautiful self-love and body acceptance. And then the sexual like exploration follows because they're like, oh, like this is my body and I can do with it what I want. So let's have sex. So like, yeah. yeah, that like, I don't think that one necessarily comes before the other, but I think they absolutely can like bounce off of each other in that Mm. way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, this is like related, but it's slightly different. Cause I'm, I'm currently like, I feel like my sexuality is very nuanced and I'm still kind of like trying to collect the puzzle pieces for what it means to me. But for me specifically, it's like the sexuality and attraction are very hand in hand, but they're not the same. Like mm-hmm. I could potentially be attracted to someone and still not want to have sex with them and vice versa. I could want to have sex with someone and not necessarily like see them as an attractive person. And there, and I feel like that happens to a lot of people. And a lot of that also has to do with body acceptance, because once again, there's a level of, as I'm learning to love my body regularly, there's a level of shame. So like, who am I attracted to? Doesn't necessarily mean I'm comfortable having, um, sex with them because of the shame that I feel about my body. And so it all gets very, very tied up in each other. I think it's important to mention that because I think there's with all the shame that's surrounded bodies and surrounding sex there's a level of almost fracturing where they're definitely connected. They were all a puzzle piece at one point, but based off of trauma and shame, they kind of become disjointed Mm. when maybe, maybe they're supposed to be together and or maybe they're not. But I think that's something that at least I'm discovering personally that I think I don't always hear about, but yeah. Well, and to piggyback off that too, this is something else we can throw into our sex education course. Um, <laughs> I, there's different types of attraction. Yeah. It's about either. Yeah. I talk about it in a, like in this multi like l- dimensional thing, like there is yeah. physical, sexual, emotional, spiritual, yeah. like right. covers so yeah. many different grounds. I mean, there's so many there. Yeah. And I think that you can be physically attracted to somebody without being sexually attracted Agreed. to them which is Ooh. fun to grapple with me <laughs> with men like <laughs> so gay like so gay but there's like if bruno mars was like doing a strip tease and was like do you want to be the like on stage special guest i'd be like yeah <laughs> no let's go <laughs> you know yeah well and i also think like you can, you can platonically, so you can, you know, be physically attracted to somebody and not be romantically oh, or yeah. emotionally or sexually attracted to them. Although I feel like maybe emotionally you probably would be in this scenario, mm-hmm. but like, I think that you could still want to be physically close to somebody and have a physical relationship with that person that is not sexual or romantic. Ooh, like, yeah. I feel like that with, because, you know, and I tend to be, I'm a, more of a touchy feely person, yeah. but I tend to be very physically intimate with a lot of my very close friends, but it's not in a way that is romantic or sexual at all. Yeah. You know, like, I, and, and I think physical touch is, is very important. And I think that this would be a great thing to address with teenagers too, because there's, you know, you can be, you can be emotionally and spiritually, and maybe even a little bit romantically attracted to a friend, but not want to have sex with them. Yeah. So fair. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and then you also get into, um, like the whole demisexuality where you don't feel a sexual attraction until you have uh, some other level of attraction, usually emotional. Mm -hmm. Um, beforehand and I feel like 
whenever I have ever talked to people about it, they're like, well, duh, you want to like someone before you have sex with them. It's like, well, some people don't need that. And I think I heard it once on TikTok where someone explained demisexuality in a way that I was like, whoa, I didn't think of it that way, which is some people are like, yeah, I want to have like an emotional connection with someone before I have sex with them. And then people who are demisexual are like, I don't want to have sex at all. I am asexual until I am not. Mm. And I was like, wow, didn't think of it that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and I think that you can even like go a step further to say that like our, our sexual desire changes constantly. Yeah. You yeah. know, like I think that, that to that same argument, like there, I mean, I'm, I have a, a very serious, you know, romantic partner that I've been with for three years now. And there are times when it's sort of like, I could kind of go either way. Like, man, do I want to have sex right now? Not really so much, but you know, I also could get in the mood for it, but it kind of depends. And yeah, you know, it's like, it also depends on where you are in your cycle. It depends on like so many different things. Yeah. And I think that, you know, and this is unfortunately a little bit of what kind of comes out of learning what you what you know about sex from porn in that you know there's this sort of uh stigma that like women are insatiable and like always or I should say female female bodied people because that's you know what we're talking about in this scenario are insatiable uh, Jesus Christ now I can't talk insatiable I always want more they always are you know like soaking wet and you know not everybody is that way no and like arousal is not always like equal to like interest like you can be really really into it and really in the mood and nothing's happening down there and same same for like penis having people same thing yeah yeah well or you know you can get and it doesn't necessarily even have to be sexual or romantic, just like we were talking about, you can, this is something that um, Lucia, who, who we've had on the podcast as well, talks about a lot. Um, women have this, this thing called turn on. Um, and there's a, there's a, a scientific name for it too, that I unfortunately do not remember. So sorry. Um, but it's actually a chemical reaction that only happens in female bodied people. And men respond to it or male bodied people can mm-hmm. have a response to it no matter what their sexuality is. Yeah. But if you walk into a room full of women who are like really passionately talking about something, you feel that energy. You know what I mean? And that's what that is. That's like the, the turn on. And, you know, people of any different sexuality can have a response to that. And you can have a physical response to that as a female bodied person. Do you too. think we have that going on right now? Probably. <laughs> I love. <I'm> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> turned on everyone. <laughs> Amazing. I love it. Oh, actually, I wanted to ask you a little side question. Yeah, please. Um, I'm really curious just because we haven't caught up in a very <laughs> long time. Um, but who would you say your, your primary audience is on your TikTok? Box? Yes. Kids. That's what I've been kind of hoping the answer was. Yeah, like honestly, I get the question a lot where people will be like, is this account appropriate for like 13-year-olds? Is this account appropriate for 14-year-olds? Because so many sex educators on TikTok, all I I will go as far as 
18 plus every single one. And really? I, yes. And I have been able to cultivate like a little TikTok community with other TikTok, TikTok creators. And they have been so warm and welcoming to me, even though I am not in any way certified to be talking about this because my content is like basics. Like yeah. it is like back to basics, like having these conversations. And I target it more at young people. And like my target audience was like high schoolers. And I would say that's like primarily what it is. I can't see like in my analytics exactly the ages of right. the people that follow me, but I have like deduced that it is high schoolers because my engagement peaks from three to 5 p.m. every day, which yeah. I feel like is after, after school. school. <laughs> so yeah, it's younger people for That's sure. That's really cool. I was kind of hoping that that would be yeah. the answer because I mean, that is so my dream for this, you know, the conversation that Christy and I are continuing to have too, because again, I think the younger we start, the better off we yes, all are. Absolutely. Um, but that's really cool. Yeah. So exciting. I know. Should we do the next one? Yes. So in a little turn, um, how would you describe your relationship with your body? I think I forget about her too much. <laughs> like, I think like I am so in my head all the time that then I am like, oh, oh, this doesn't feel good for my body, like mm. halfway through the day. Um, so I would say, yeah, I feel like I have like put my body on the back burner after college because like in high school, I remember like every... Oh, like all of my parents, friends being like, oh my God, you're so tall. You should model, whatever. Mm. And so then I felt this pressure to like maintain this body type that everyone was pointing at me and saying like, this is what you look like. This is what you should look like. Here are the models. Like you can look like this. This is what you have to do to get there. Mm. And it wasn't until I got to college that like, I think part of that was also like growing up in Indiana and growing up in like a very like Lily Pulitzer, like Vera Bradley kind <laughs> of like area was that I like, I wanted so badly to like dress how I'm dressed now, which mm. for the people who can't see me, I'm in a hoodie and some cargo pants. Like <laughs> I wanted like to wear boys clothes and I felt so pigeonholed because of the way that I looked to conform to the way that other women who looked like me were expected to look. Right. So yes, point being, it wasn't until college that I was like, oh, I can wear whatever I want on my body. Like I don't have to look like the other people who have my body type. I can wear baggy clothes. I can, you know, shop in the men's section and that's okay. And I think also part of that is living in New York where, yeah. you know, people are wearing a bikini down the street in right. January and you're right. like, it's just Tuesday. Like, you know, fashion, whatever. You gotta love Brooklyn, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, but I, I think that that's, I feel like I kind of had a similar experience also in college once I kind of separated from yeah. this idea of what I was supposed to be. Yes. Um, and Huge. then I, I also really had a lot of changes in what I chose to wear every day and mm -hmm. you know how I chose to um do my hair or makeup or not do my hair or makeup and like things like that yeah. like that and that really changed and progressed honestly from year to year yeah the makeup thing was huge for me because yeah. I wore a full face like full beat eyeshadow winged eyeliner bronzer the whole nine every single day of high school and if I didn't wear it I felt 
awful about myself yeah. and not because I thought I looked ugly, but because I thought that people could tell that I didn't try, mm. you know? So like it, when I got to college and everyone was just in their leggings and like no makeup, like every day, mm -hmm. I, oh, and I remember how painful it was to, cause I have really like dark hereditary, like under eye circles. Mm. And when I stopped wearing makeup, it was like two weeks. Everyone would be like, oh my God, are you okay? Are you, yeah, like, classic. are you, did you sleep? Were you up studying? And I'm like, this is my face, just my face y'all. <laughs> yeah. The makeup thing was huge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also think that's just kind of a part of becoming an adult. You just care less and less and less about what people think when they see you. And yeah. maybe that's New York syndrome too. I, I definitely think it is though, because I will see people who um, stayed in my hometown and they look exactly like they did in elementary school and high school. And they look exactly like their moms look. And yeah, like yeah. there's definitely, if you are not in an area where like there's um, a big like push for freedom of like self-expression in that way yeah. it's so easy to stay sucked into that vortex of this is what I have to look like in order to be respected liked whatever it may be yeah yeah I almost wonder too if that's maybe a little bit of a product of um you know being under and around your parents influence so heavily for your yeah. life like I think so I think there's a big difference in people who kind of live and this is no shame on people who no. wanna, like stay in their hometowns because heard I mean yeah. listen like their happiness looks different for every single person on the planet yeah. for sure but you know I think that there is a big difference between people who sort of go to high school and then you know maybe go to college and move back to mm -hmm. their hometown or go to college in their hometown and stay um, and then end up settling down and starting families there. I, I feel like there's a big difference in that versus the people who do like leave home at 18 yeah. and, you know, of course, like visit their families or don't, you know, depending on what your relationship with your family is like. But I do think that there's a, a very big difference in the sense of individuality and independence that you get yeah. when you're kind of forced to learn how to do a lot of things for yourself yeah. all at once. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, a, a parent's influence doesn't go away if you are still in their circle mm -hmm. I and I believe this as someone who has a pretty good relationship at, with my family and my parents but moving away was the most beneficial thing for my mental health and physical health frankly um and I and I've talked mentioned this a few other times but a lot of my body dysmorphia and just like general self-loathing um came from my family and so yeah you know, when you're 800 miles away, it's very hard to um, hear all of that <laughs> from the past. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I was always shamed so much because I, I, I mentioned it many a times. I've got big boobs and I have a like pretty curvy body. And so there was a whole level of desexualization, desexualization of my body from a young age because I was a minor and my mom worked in um, law. And so she always was the horror stories of like me getting kidnapped and yeah. all the horrific things that happen to people. And it was, and so I was always told like, I can't, I couldn't wear tight clothing. I couldn't show off my cleavage. 
And I think some of it had to do with that reasoning on in her mind. It had to do with just like sexualization in, in, in general, how it'd be the fact that I wasn't skinny. Like a lot of it probably was all tied up in each other. Um, but it wasn't until I was able to move away that I was able to almost accept my sexuality in my body of like, okay, well, I really love my boobs and I kind and I love my waist and I love my butt and I kind of want to show it off a lot more. And it slowly but surely was able to be like, oh, I'm actually not necessarily, not that size matters, but I actually don't have to wear this size clothing just because I was told that's what I should wear to cover my body. Like I can actually wear something, you know, technically two sizes too small, but I will look great in it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like yeah. there was this level of acceptance in relationship with my body that had to, could only happen with distance from the people that made me feel shame from it. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I think that like when there's any type of sort of suppression of self-expression that happens so much for teenagers, mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously there is so much relief that comes from being able to get out from under that and, and have your own, um, agency. Yeah. Actually, this is kind of a good point. I, I wanted to talk about this and I forgot until right now. Um, but, and I wanted to talk about it with you here too. Okay. Have you been watching sex education? Yes. Okay. No spoilers though. Cause I'm only like two episodes into the most recent season. Okay. Yeah. So I, I will not, I will not spoil, okay. but, um, but basically there's, there is a lot of, um, suppression yes. of teenagers in this season. And I think you see that pretty yeah. early on. I cannot get through a single episode without absolutely sobbing hysterically. <laughs> I just like cannot do it, but it's, it's really good. And first of all, I think that they are, if you have, if people listening have not seen it, please do yourself a fucking favor. It's it is so, so good. good. And it's also talking about so many issues that we really like don't hear about enough and yeah. especially in such a mainstream setting yes. and without feeling preachy not at all it's, it's amazing it's very well because it's like you're kind of learning and growing and experiencing with them it's digestible yeah. you know it comes in right, yeah. right. but it's also like like uh, the the person who introduced me to the show is actually like 15 <laughs> so you know um and and she was like I really think you would like this show she was right <laughs> but um but I I think that it's also very digestible and relatable for people who are that age and who yeah. are going through and experiencing these things for sure but in this way that is like so helpful yes it's another it's another platform for that but I but I just think that you know this this particular season three is is a great um representation of of kind of what happens well the whole show really is what yeah. it's like a representation of what happens when you try to stifle self-expression especially yeah. in teenagers um and you know I think I think it's it hits home for us at this age because we're all kind of dealing with the aftermath of yeah. that in our own yeah individual ways yeah um anyway everybody go watch sex education it's so good it's perfect i of course you i mean i was like i katie it's has so obviously good. seen it but it's i just so have to good. be sure um cool should we should we wrap things up here let's do it all right so mm -hmm. this is the question that we ask everybody okay um so what are three things that you love about your body uh 
I love, can it be like something I love doing with my body? It can be anything. Okay. <laughs> I love holding my body. Oh, like, I love that. I love like, I love like, do y'all do shoulder kisses? No, but I should. No, but I it is my that. favorite self-love thing of all time. It's my like panic attack, like calm down mm. is like bare shoulders. And you just give your, it's the only place that you can like, kiss on your body that's like closest to your like fate like where you'd actually be kissed by another person if that makes sense because yeah. you obviously can't kiss yourself in the mouth but like <laughs> you know <laughs> wouldn't that be cool <laughs> actually. um but I love giving myself a little self self shoulder kisses and like I love just like holding my body um I I love my, this is like cliche, but I genuinely do. I love my smile. I have a huge mouth. I have a really <laughs> big mouth. Um, and I've had a lot of orthodontic work done in my life, which I think just like only contributed to like how massive my mouth is for some reason. Um, but for the longest time, I was very like ashamed of my like massive teeth. And so now <laughs> I am like, uh, I, I love my smile. You guys can't see, but Katie does have a really gorgeous great smile. Check the Instagram. Thank you. <laughs> I remember like being in high school and like feeling like I had too many teeth showing. So I'd smile like with like, just try to make just the front teeth show. I, I have so many high school photos where I look like an American girl doll, you know, where they just have like the two going. So Yes. These are all stemming from things that I like once didn't really like. And now I, I do. love that. Um, and I love my butt. Yes. I love my yes. butt so much. I think she's so cute and just the right amount of perfect. I love her. We love butts <laughs> on this podcast. Also, we do love so. butts on this podcast. Amazing. Yay. Yay. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. This was an absolute blast. I feel like we might need to do a part two of this. Yes. Because sex is always a fun topic to talk about. We love to talk about it. Um, and, and I know you love to talk about it yes. too. Um, but thank you guys so much for joining us yet again. Hopefully we're going to you know, have some more regularity coming back to you. I know we promised that to you in the fall, but we're really serious about it this time. So <laughs> new year, um, new us. Yeah, no, sure. For sure. 2022, it's definitely not the same as 2021. Right. Um, but we're, we're grateful that you guys are here here and we're really grateful for those of you that um have started listening in our little hiatus and we're really excited to keep having this conversation with you guys um i also want to remind everybody too that if you have questions that you would like us to start incorporating on the podcast or you know like a personal question that you want us to address or if you yourself would like to join us here on the grayscale um you can let us know you can send us an email at uh what's our email address the grayscale is it dot body <laughs> uh, the at gmail.com. yes so you can email us there or you can definitely dm us on our instagram page um, which is the grayscale underscore body. Um, and yeah, I think, I think that just about does it. Chris, you have anything else? Um, thank you for, um, one year of the yeah. grayscale and reminder, all shades yeah. of gray are beautiful. They sure are. Love ya. Bye. Bye.